on December 6, 2023. National polygamy advocate Mark Henkel shares the government subterfuge of anti-polygamy laws. Step 2. Hello, my friends, supporters, listeners, and sharers. Two episodes ago of this podcast, episode number 297 of November 22, 2023, I shared the historic origins, the four steps that established the anti-polygamy laws in the latter half of the 1800s in the United States of America. Those four steps are as follows. First, the new Republican Party plank of 1856. Second, the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862. Third, the Supreme Court decision of Reynolds v. United States in 1878, and fourth, the Edmonds Act of 1882. I concluded that episode by noting how many attentive listeners here could be asking, But Mark, how were the Congress and the Supreme Court able to get away with such anti-constitutional marriage control? After that, one week later, in the last episode, that is to say, episode number 298 of November 29, 2023, I began the answers to that excellent question, sharing the history of the first of those four steps of that government subterfuge that established the anti-polygamy laws, i.e., step one, the new Republican Party plank of 1856. For this episode here now, episode number 299 of December 6, 2023. I will share the next step, step two, the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862. Before I begin, though, I recognize that some of you might be asking, but Mark, is the name pronounced as Morrill or Moral? Ah, good question. I will herewith admit two things. One, I admit that I do not know which is the correct pronunciation. Two, I equally admit that I intentionally pronounce it as Morrill. And I do so for a very specific reason. With people listening to my voice here, I refuse to label this subterfuge law as the Moral Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862 because there is absolutely nothing moral about this law whatsoever. Let there be no confusion. I will not be heard calling this as supposed moral law. In fact, I would go so far as to say that, if anything, it could be called an immoral law, in violation of the Constitution as well as the Bible too, for that matter. Hence, I do not want anyone hearing my voice to confuse the name of that non-moral law as if it is supposedly a moral law. So now you know why I will always pronounce it as the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862. With that explanation understood, let's now dig into that step two of the government subterfuge of the anti-polygamy laws, the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862. The election of 1856 was a contest between the pro-slavery Democrats, the anti-slavery New Republicans, 
and another obscure new party, the anti-Catholic would-be American Party, now often labeled as the Know-Nothing Party. The issue of slavery was becoming an increasingly divisive political battle, especially as new states were joining the Union as either slave states or free states. The pro-slavery Democrat, James Buchanan, won the election in the Electoral College in 1856. The issue of states' rights to decide the issue of slavery on their own was the primary point of dispute, and it was only getting worse. As the anti-slavery new Republicans were gaining more power, the southern pro-slavery states saw their authority as states diminishing, and they despaired that their pro-slavery so-called rights would never be heard. When Abraham Lincoln won the presidency in the election of 1860, seven states followed through with their threats to secede from the Union if he was elected. He was, and they did. In 1860, in December, South Carolina seceded. In January of 1861, Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, and Louisiana seceded. And in February, Texas had seceded. Such secession also guaranteed the one-party rule by the new Republican Party, as the Democrat members of the House and Senate from the seceding states had left the U.S. Congress. Indeed, by the time when President Lincoln and the new Republican Party-controlled Congress took office in March 4, those seven states in the South had left the Union, organizing themselves into a new league they called the CSA, the Confederate States of America. Of course, the United States of America, the Union, only perceived them as rebellious states, hence their label as rebels. From the view of the United States of America, the Union, the anti-slave North was protecting the Union. Warfare began on April 12, 1861, followed by the state of Virginia seceding too, less than a week later. Next month in May, Arkansas and North Carolina seceded too followed by Tennessee secession in June. With 11 states formally seceded at that point, and with actual warfare begun, America was in full civil war by the summer of 1861. One year later, while the country was still excruciatingly distracted by this civil war, the subterfuge quietly continued. With the one-party rule of the new Republican Party, then in control of the presidency, House, and Senate, it was in the second session of the 37th Congress on April 28, 1862, that the House of Representatives passed House Resolution H.R. 391. It went to the Senate in May, and President Abraham Lincoln signed it into law on July 1, 1862. The short name for the law is the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862. Named after its initial sponsor of the bill, Justin Smith Morrill of Vermont. Here is the actual, yet very long title of that new law. Quote, An act to punish and prevent the practice of polygamy in the territories 
of the United States and other places, and disapproving and annulling certain acts of legislative assembly of the territory of Utah. Unquote. The second and third sections of the law imposed tyranny on the new imaginative religion that had begun in the 1800s and which had moved out to the Utah territories called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known to most of us now as the Mormons. But more importantly, moving beyond just targeting that new religion, the first section of the law is broadest of all. After all, the Mormons did not invent polygamy. Even Moses, Abraham, and Israel were polygamists in the Bible. Even so, the first section of the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862 declared the following as federal law. Quote, Be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled that every person having a husband or wife living who shall marry any other person, whether married or single, in a territory of the United States or other place over which the United States have exclusive jurisdiction, shall, except in the cases specified in the proviso to this section, be adjudged guilty of bigamy and, upon conviction thereof, shall be punished by a fine not exceeding $500, and by imprisonment for a term not exceeding five years. Provided, nevertheless, that this section shall not extend to any person by reason of any former marriage whose husband or wife by such marriage shall have been absent for five successive years without being known to such person within that time to be living, nor to any person by reason of any former marriage which shall have been dissolved by the decree of a competent court, nor to any person by reason of any former marriage which shall have been annulled or pronounced void by the sentence or decree of a competent court on the ground of the nullity of the marriage contract. Unquote. Phew. Let's repeat that, but shorten it to the smaller yet most relevant segment. Quote, Every person having a husband or wife living who shall marry any other person, whether married or single, in a territory of the United States or other place over which the United States have exclusive jurisdiction, shall be adjudged guilty of bigamy. Unquote. Anyone so adjudged could face a fine up to $500, when that amount was a massive fortune in the 1860s. Plus, they could go to jail for up to five years. Ugh. The new Republican-controlled one-party rule still knew that the Tenth Amendment prohibited the federal government from making any such law about marriage control in the states. Thereby, once again, 
we observe the intentional government subterfuge. Just as we saw in Step 1, the new Republican Party plank of 1856, we see it here again in this Step 2, the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862. All that mattered were the three words, in the territories. They purposely bypassed the Tenth Amendment limitation upon the federal government with their oh-so-clever subterfuge of enacting the ban to only be in the territories, in the territories, in the territories. With that realized, let's now review what I had reiterated earlier, and as I had also mentioned in the previous two episodes also, episode number 297 of November 22, 2023, and episode number 298 of November 29, 2023. Namely, the origins, the four steps that established the anti-polygamy laws in the second half of the 19th century in these United States of America are as follows. First, the new Republican Party plank of 1856. Second, the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862. Third, the Supreme Court decision of Reynolds v. United States in 1878. And fourth, the Edmonds Act of 1882. From this episode here, episode number 299 of December 6, 2023, I have herewith revealed that very second step, the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act, of 1862. And herewith again, now you know how the subterfuge continued with the words, in the territories, in the territories, in the territories. In future episodes of this podcast, I will share more about the third and fourth steps of the origins of this subterfuge of the anti-polygamy laws in the United States of America. However, before that, In the next coming episode of this podcast, I will first instead be having a very special celebration. After that celebration, though, I will pick up from where we leave off here now. So stay tuned. And in the meantime, I again thank you for celebrating, supporting, listening to, and sharing the National Polygamy Advocate Podcast. Mark Henkel is National Polygamy Advocate, presenting polygamy to the public since 1994. NationalPolygamyAdvocate.com